0: Matthew chapter seven and we are going to conclude tonight the Sermon on the Mount um, our theme this year has uh, been a biblical principle of uh, our foundation uh, that I understand very clearly having been a a, uh, a building contractor for many years and and uh, working in that industry it's a it's an illustration that I, I understand perfectly clear. When the Bible talks about, you know, having a strong foundation, uh, it's something that uh, makes perfect sense to me. Um, the other day, uh, I was out on the uh, church property, and most most of you know that the church has um, been. Uh, uh, we have leased uh, a 40 by 40. Portion of our property for a cell phone tower. And uh, yesterday, when or not yesterday, well, I was there yesterday too. But um, was it Friday? Friday when I went by, um, they they had dug a hole for the cell phone tower, the foundation, and it was a hole that was six and a half feet across and 35 feet deep. And the uh, when I was there, um, the concrete trucks were just dumping concrete in the hole as fast as they could, and uh, rebar was you know sticking out, and they had bolts, really 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 long bolts down in there. And as I stood there and, and looked at this, I was talking to the to one of the guys that was in charge of the uh, the project. Um, I, I I I stood there and looked at it, and I thought, "Boy, this tower is not going anywhere." You know, uh, 35 feet, six and a half feet across. That's a lot of concrete. And my first, you know, as again, as I as I thought there, I stood there and I thought, "This this tower, it, yeah, it, it's not going anywhere." How do I know that? Okay, it's a good foundation. foundation. It's a strong foundation. But the reality is this. The engineers are the ones that design these things. And they have all kind of figures and things that they do. But the reality is we don't know that that tower is going to remain standing until what happens it gets tested we get a strong storm and we can we have had hurricane force winds here we've had since we've lived here we've seen 70 80 mile an hour winds 93 yeah That's when we will know that the tower will stand is when it's is when it's <clears throat> excuse me, when it's tested, when the foundation proves itself. Later that day, on Friday, uh, i got I got home uh, kind of late that afternoon, and I was pondering what I had seen. You know I was I was, you know, just my the way my brain works. i love I love seeing things like that. and and I was sitting there thinking about it, and I thought, how strong is my foundation? Here I've been preaching on a firm foundation all year, and I thought, how strong is my foundation? And I, and I'll be honest with you, i, I as i thought I, I thought about it and I pondered it. I thought, you know, I I believe with all my heart that I have a relatively firm, solid foundation. I've been uh, blessed, and God has allowed me to work on the foundation, my spiritual foundation, for many, many years. And I believe I have a firm foundation. And then the thought hit me, what happens when my foundation is tested? Do I always respond properly? Do I, do I always stand strong when the hurricane winds come? Now, if you're like me, you're sitting there thinking about your own life and I can only answer for myself, and that is this. There have been times that my foundation has held firm, and then there's been times that my foundation has not done so well. Building a firm foundation... Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16, the verse that we have on the back wall over here. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious stone, a sure foundation. He, <clears throat> he that believeth shall not make haste. Second Timothy 2 and 19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure See, uh, having this seal, the Lord knoweth that he, that he, excuse me, the Lord knoweth them uh, that are his, and <clears throat> let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. The title of my message tonight is very, very simple, I think it's very, very accurate, and it is the greatest sermon, not my greatest sermon. Jesus' greatest sermon is the Sermon on the Mount. I believe that. And as we wrap up this sermon, I want to wrap it up with this idea of our foundation. In Matthew chapter 7, let's start reading in verse 24. It says, Therefore, Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine... Now, let let, let me stop right there and let let me ask you, what sayings is he talking about here? John? Five, six, and seven. The the whole sermon, okay? Okay, He's talking about the whole sermon. So, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and do with them, I will liken him unto a wise man which buildeth his house upon a rock... And rains descend, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth with them, uh, excuse me, do with them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which build his house on the sand. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the, the winds blew and beat upon the the house, and it fell. And great. Was the fall of it? Let's pray, dear Lord, thank you again for this day. Thank you for the 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 strength and the the healing that has taken place in my life today. and Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity to be here, the opportunity to share. Lord, help us to walk with you, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now last June, uh, in on Sunday morning, Uh, I've been preaching through uh, the parables of Christ. And last June, uh, I preached a Sunday morning message called The Wise and the Foolish Builder on this passage. So I'm not going to re-preach that tonight, but I do want to talk about it because it's important. Um, uh, In chapter 6 of Luke, Jesus preaches another message very similar to the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it is known as the Sermon of the, on the Plain. It's, it's very, very similar uh, to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's not as long, if my memory serves me correct, I don't believe it's as long as the Sermon on the Mount, but it's very similar. A lot of uh, the illustrations he makes are the same. But in the Sermon on the Plain, um, <clears throat> he preaches and he, and he tells the same story a little differently. Let's let's look at it in Luke chapter six, verses 47 and 49. It says, "Whosoever cometh to me and heareth uh, my sayings uh, and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and dig deep, and laid the foundation on the stone. And when the floods arose, the 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 stream." Uh, beat vehemently upon the house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. And he that heareth and doeth not is like a a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of the house was great. In this version that, that Jesus uh, gives of the same, basically the same story, but there's a couple of uh, uh, details that he adds to this story uh, on the Sermon uh, on the Plain. Now, you have to understand that Jesus preaches both of these sermons relatively early in his ministry. But in the second one, in the Sermon on the Plain, he he adds a couple of details that really kind of open up for the visual sense uh, a little bit more detail. The first one we see in verse 48, it says, um, uh, 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 He is like uh, a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on the rock. This idea of digging deep is exactly what took place out on the property this week. What did they do? Now, if you've, if you've ever been out on that 10 acres, <clears throat> you know that at least the topsoil, I don't know what it's like below that, but the topsoil has a lot of sand in it. Now, what, what's going to happen if, if they were to just come out and, you know, dig, you know, let's say 15 feet, do you think the tower would stand? It it probably would stand. But what would happen when the storms came? I don't think it would hold. Why? Because the the foundation, it wouldn't be deep enough and solid soil to withstand hurricane-force winds. The second detail that we see in, in both uh, verse 48 and 49 is the word vehemently. The word vehemently literally means uh, a wild burst out of nowhere. Um, and, and this is an interesting word because um, one of the things that uh, uh, Melanie and I saw living in the southeast, we, we didn't where we lived... <clears throat> tornadoes very rarely occurred. You, know, I mean, you would see them occasionally, but one of the things that people... Uh, I want to see how I want to say this. One of the, the, the uh, attributes of, of nature that was common in our area was called microburst. Okay, yeah, also had them in Idaho. Okay. Oh, that's right, that's right. It was a blew your back door off. Yeah, and, and they literally come out of nowhere. There is no warning, and they are incredibly damaging. I've seen them just uproot huge trees and toss them like they're toothpicks. Um, they're incredibly dangerous, but there is no warning, and they they, they just happen. That is the word vehemently here. And what is going to happen if a microburst happens close to our church property? Will that tower stand? That is the key. How do we know if it will or will not? We won't really know truthfully. We can engineer it to withstand those kind of winds, but will we really know until it happens? And the reality is this: when life happens to us, what is the most common way it happens? Suddenly, without a without a warning. How many times have you have you gotten a phone call from somebody and say, "Oh, hey, by the way." Next Tuesday, I'm going to stab you in the back. Just kind of want to throw it out there. Yeah, okay. Thanks for the, 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 for the heads up. <laughs> no. Life happens, boom. What is your foundation going to do? A wise man will take time and dig deep. In fact, the guy who was pouring the concrete the other day, I was when I was talking to him, I said, "Do you <clears throat> uh, do you dig wells? You, you know, like water wells and things." And he's like, "Oh no, 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 no." He said, "This is what we do. We do uh, foundations for large buildings, cell towers, things like this." And and uh, I said, is, so? Is this a normal, you know, for for a cell tower?" And he's well, and he's like, "Well, it's a little deeper than usual." And I said it's probably because of the soil, and he didn't he didn't reply, but I that was my assumption was it had something to do with the soil and and uh, they wanted to make sure it was deep enough. So point number one tonight is what is the difference between the two houses? What is the difference between the two houses? The description given in Luke chapter 7 and in uh, 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 Luke chapter 6 and Matthew 7, um, the descriptions are identical with one exception. What is the one exception? The foundation. Okay. The only difference in the description of these houses is the foundation. So the successful builder worked hard, dug deep, and did not cut corners. What did the other person do? Or the the unsuccessful builder, if you would, uh, did it the easy way, according to what his own plans. I was wondering, as I was looking at the hole, uh, what was you know it, it was filling up with concrete when I saw it. Uh, it was about the concrete was about six or eight feet below the top of the soil when I saw it, and I thought, how do they know they are 35 feet deep? Did somebody go down there? <laughs> I doubt it. Did they take a tape measure? Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, it, it looks like 35 feet. I don't know. But a successful Christian will take time and do the hard work that is needed in your life. The daily time with God. Time in the Word. Not just reading, but studying. Learning to apply the truths of the Word of God to your life on a daily basis. Why? Because we don't know when the micro-bursts of life are going to happen. We just don't know. We don't cut corners. If we are going to be successful in our Christian lives, it it is not going to be because we're cutting corners. It's because we're willing to do the hard thing. And we're willing to do it God's way. The unsuccessful Christian will do it the easy way, according to his own plans. The vehement, the vehemently, uh, the sudden, the strong burst of energy that can hit each of our lives comes without warning. And uh, as I, when I did preach uh, uh, on this um, back in June, I did, I did bring up this idea of Job. Job, everything in Job's life. When, when his life fell apart, how fast did it happen? Oh, if that long. It, maybe, I think, as I read it conservatively, uh, in less than an hour, he lost everything. Probably closer to 30 minutes. He lost everything. In Job chapter 1 and verse 20, it says, And Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. And it said, Naked came I into my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. God gave and the Lord, or excuse me, the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job said not, nor charged God foolishly. See Job person after person after person came into Job and said hey Job you you lost your fortune all your sheep are gone your cattle are gone your your camels are gone Uh, and then finally the last one came and said hey your family is all gone you have lost everything as soon as one was finished speaking another one showed up and gave him bad news just bang 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 And what what happened? A huge microburst happened in Job's life. And what did Job do? He stood firm. His foundation had been built upon the rock of Jesus Christ. His foundation had been in the truths of the Word of God. Job's house, when it fell... or excuse me, when the storms came, it did not fall. Not his physical house. I I think you understand what I'm trying to say here. Because his physical house did fall with his kids in it. But spiritually speaking, his house stood firm. Now, I want to consider the sermon on the mount as a whole. Think about something. I, I and and the the reality of this hit me as I was putting all my final thoughts together uh, the other day. Does anybody know how long I have been preaching this me- these series of messages on the Sermon on the Mount? Anybody? Long, long time. Over a year close close to a year and a half now that now you know granted not every Sunday night there's been you know things going on here and there but but let's just say conservatively, it's taken me a year to preach one sermon Jesus preached august 22. since august of twenty two that's exactly right so The greatest sermon, the greatest sermon I believe Jesus preached was the Sermon on the Mount. And you say, well, why do you say that? Well, point number two, what is different about this sermon? Point number two, what is different about this sermon? Look at verses 28 and 29. Often these verses are are skipped over. And it came to pass when Jesus ended these sayings the people were astonished at his doctrine and he taught them as one having authority and not as as scribes. There are three words in these two verses that I want to look at in, in closing tonight. Three words that when I stopped and i and I really I thought about it, I thought, it, these three words transformed this sermon in my thinking. The first one is the word astonished, the word astonished and and I you know I have a lot of really cool um, uh, tools at my expose uh, 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 um, Uh, disposal there you go Uh, thank you Um, I have a lot of really cool tools that you know break down words and and tell me what they you know what they mean and different things and and I I was astonished when I realized what the word astonishment let me read you the definition to be utterly amazed To be or become astounded to such a degree as to nearly lose one's mental composure. Put that in 21st century English. He was blown away. away. Pooh. Isn't that a meme? Your little heads exploding. Okay. That's what this word means. Literally to have your head explode. They were they were these people after hearing this sermon were completely blown away. Think about that for a second. Exactly. Nothing that they had been taught all now, now again. The the audience, we don't know exactly who the audience here is, but more than likely this was a very broad audience, probably young people to old people in this audience. And here Jesus is teaching, and as he's as he tells this final parable, the people are sitting there going, Wow, what just happened? Now, I know that I am not a great orator. Okay, I'm just not. And I have sat under men, godly men, who are great orators. And I have yet to hear a sermon where I go, whoa. Has anybody ever done that? See, Jesus Christ took their spiritual lives, turned them upside down. Everything that they had been taught Everything that they had taught. In fact, in verse, in, in, in verse 29 it says, uh, uh, and he taught them one having authority and not as the scribes. They had been taught by the, their, their religious leaders for years and years and years. And nothing even came close to one sermon that Jesus preached. The gospel will do that. The gospel will turn people's lives upside down. It's the truth of the gospel. Acts chapter 17, verse 6, And when they found them not, they drew uh, Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These are uh, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. What did they turn the world upside down with? The Gospel. The gospel. The, th- the truth of the Word of God. Everything that they had t- been taught had been... Uh, uh, Judaism is still this way, but in this day was probably more so, but everything that they had been taught was everything was about them. What do people see about me? You know, everything, every criticism that, that Jesus had of the of the religious leaders, what would He say? Hey, you look good on the outside, but the inside is the problem. And that is how they were taught to live. They were taught to live on the outside, but the inside didn't matter. And Jesus in one sermon Ripped all that to shreds. And they were absolutely dumbfounded. Because it was the truth of the, of the gospel, the truth of the word of God that changed their lives. They were, they were taught, what will make me happy? They were even taught that basically get all you can because when you die, it's all over. But doesn't that sound familiar? But what did Jesus teach them? Just a quick synopsis of the Sermon on the Mount. He started off with the Beatitudes, right? What is, what, what is the whole premise of the Beatitudes? It's the heart. These are attributes that should be, that need to be part of a Christian's life. He talked about being salt and light in the dark world. How to deal with real life issues. How to truly worship God. How to properly handle your money. And then how should believers act. Those are the things that Jesus taught them. They sat in absolute astonishment. Their minds had been blown away. They didn't know what to say. The second word I want to kind of concentrate on here for a minute is the word doctrine. And when it came to pass, when Jesus ended these sayings, the people were astonished at what? His doctrine. His doctrine. Doctrine is the teaching the truths of Scripture. Every truth. A few weeks ago, I think it was like two or three weeks ago, I I, I, because it was part of the Sermon on the Mount. I, I, I preached on um, um, the false teachers. And I, I had people come to me and say, hey, I've been in church a long time and I've never heard a per- pastor preach on that before. You know what? It's part of the Bible. And we can't, we can't just skip over the parts we don't like. We have to preach and teach the entire counsel of the Word of God. Honestly, doctrine, the word doctrine, is not pop- popular in churches today. There are many churches in our world, in our country today, that will make this statement. I've I know I know pastors that have made this statement. I do not teach doctrine because. We want people to feel happy when they come to church. We want to bring people in. We don't want to turn them off by teaching truth. That's a really sad thing. Because what did Jesus teach? Doctrine. Churches will say today, well, we need to be more relevant. Well, I don't know how, how more relevant you can be than to teach the truths of the Word of God. Timothy Whitmer said this, this downward trajectory of culture cultural standards places an increasingly great pressure on churches as it strives to maintain a clear moral imperative of the Scriptures. The truth is, there is nothing more relevant than doctrine. Doctrine is the thing that astounded the people. It is the thing that changes lives. God help Grace Baptist Church if we ever get to the point where we are itching ears, preachers, where we, where we develop sermons to make people feel good instead of, the truths of the Word of God. Now, am I saying that doctrine, <clears throat> excuse me, that doctrine should make us feel bad? that no, that's not what I'm saying. It, the Word of God is what changes us. My words will not change you. Even if I was the most charismatic and and great, greatest preacher in the world, if I was the one changing you, then then you're in big trouble. It should be the power of the Word of God in your life that changes you. Doctrine is what astounded the people. And doctrine is what is still astounding people today. A.W. Tozer wrote this, We have gotten accustomed to blurred puffs of gray fog that pass for doctrine in churches and accept uh, nothing better. For some previously uh, unimpeachable sources are now coming uh, uh, vague statements considering a milky uh, admixture of Scripture, science, and human statements that is true to none of uh, of its ingredients because each one works to cancel the other out. Little by little, Christians these days are being brainwashed. What evidence of of that increasing number of them are becoming ashamed to be found unequivocally uh, on the same? Uh, uh, excuse me, unequivocally on the side of truth. They say they believe, but they they. But their beliefs have been so diluted as to be impossible of clear definition. Moral power has always accompanied definite belief. Giant saints have always been dogmatic. We need to return to a gentle dogmatism that smiles while it stands firm on the Word of God and the lives that will abide forever. I love what he says. A gentle dogmatism that smiles but stands firm. That should be the description of everybody in this room. Standing firm on the Word of God. On the doctrines of the Word of God. Not giving way to the pressures of the world, but standing firm. The third word I want to look at is in verse 29. Let's read verse 28 and then 29 again. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, these people the, the, the people were astonished at His doctrine, for He had taught them as one having authority. As one having authority. This word authority means to rule or to, to have jurisdiction. So Jesus had the authority. And as I as I thought about this, I, I thought, how in the world can I illustrate this, this word authority? And as I thought about it, this is the best way I could come up with. As I stand before you now, I preach and teach by his authority, not by my authority. When he taught and preached, he taught by what? His authority. See, my my authority is secondary, if you would. But his was first person. And as I as I thought about this, I thought of I thought of Lawrence back here. Lawrence is a licensed pilot. Now, if I were going to be stupid enough to learn how to fly an airplane, I would go to somebody like Lawrence who's got experience and say, "Hey, can you can you teach me how to fly?" Why? Because he has the authority and the knowledge of how to fly. Or would it be better? It definitely would be cheaper to buy a book written by someone who watched a YouTube video. I love those commercials about the guy who was, the guy did the brain surgery and. Uh, <clears throat> They halfway through the surgery, he says, "Oh, don't worry about it. I stayed at a holiday inn last night or something like that." I was like, "How does that give you authority to do brain surgery?" But see, we 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 will go to the internet and we will we will find sources for authority all over the place when all we need to do is go to the book. See, this book is the authority. Not me, not any pastor. It's the Word of God that's the authority. And Jesus was representing Himself. And the reality is, I would much rather learn from this book than learn from a preacher, just saying. Because it's this book that changes lives. Now, can God use preachers? Absolutely, He can use preachers. He has used many, many pastors and preachers in my life to help me understand so that the Word of God can make the change. So the the preaching, God, the Bible says that God chose the foolishness of preaching to touch the hearts of men. So God uses pastors and, and preachers, and, and I, please don't think I'm trying to get myself fired that's not the point <laughs> the point is that the ultimate authority is this book there is a song that i have on my phone that plays it seems regularly I don't know the name of the song, but there's a, it, it may be the name of the song, I don't know, but there's a line in the song that every time I hear the song, that it, it sticks in my head for days. And it's this, I want to be merry for a while. Was that the name of the song? It may even be the name of the song, I don't know but it's a song of this 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 lady is singing a song and and she she's talking about the fact that her personality is such that she is a Martha she's always busy about the things of God and never takes time to sit at the feet of God and then and then then it reminds me it's a constant reminder of me and I like I like that I think God makes has it rotate in my on my phone a lot because I need to be reminded I can get so busy with the things of God that I forget to spend time with God. Does that make sense? In Luke chapter 10, verses 38 and following, it says this, And now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house and she had a sister named called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. And Martha was what? Cumbered about with much serving. And came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore to come so that she uh, help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. And I need to be reminded of this truth very often because it is so easy, especially for me as a pastor, to get caught up in the of the 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 work of the ministry and i it's easy for me to to fail to get into the person of the ministry and i i personally believe that every one of us can fall into the same trap we can allow the things of this world to cumber us to to take over like Mary and well I've got to do this and I have to go to work and I have to be here and I have to do this and I have to and I have all this and I and I got this and this and this and this and this and this. and we forget that hey you know what the most important thing is spending time with God the authority one that taught with authority And it was the doctrine that he taught that blew their minds. It was the things of God, the truths of the Word of God that changed these people's thinking to the point where they were absolutely speechless. I want to close with this thought. What does your foundation look like? Is it six and a half feet wide, 35 feet deep, full of rebar and bolts and all kinds of stuff? Or are you just scratching the surface? What's your foundation look like? Because I I don't know when, but I can tell you this the storms of life are coming. They are are, uh, an unavoidable part of each of our lives. We will all face the storms of life. And most of the time, they come quickly and unannounced. One of the most faithful people that I know is sitting right there. She she has faced so many storms and she loves the Lord and she is so faithful and I am so thankful that she's my friend. What's your foundation look like? I don't know. Only you can answer that. And you know one of the things that is interesting about a foundation? You don't know how deep it is. Now, if you go out to the property tomorrow or the next day or whatever, next week or so, before they put the fence around it, you know how much of the foundation you're going (laughs) to see? What, Terry, about a foot? it's sticking up about about that high, maybe maybe eighteen inches. That's all you're gonna see. How do you know? I mean I saw it. it was you know six or eight feet down with some concrete. How do I know it's thirty five feet. You know how I will know the first time the storms come. And that's what matters. And that's what Jesus is telling us in this parable. It's the storms are going to come and they're going to come vehemently. What's your foundation like? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. And again, thank you for allowing me to be here tonight. Thank you for your patience with us. But Lord, more importantly, thank you for your son. Thank you for the doctrine of the Word of God that we can dogmatically and lovingly stand on. Help us, dear God, to be more like you in everything that we say and do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right.